I want to read a scripture to you this morning our, for our, serve, for our um, message today. You all ready for what God has for you? Oh, you know what? Can, can I have my phone? It's in my different translation. I read it on. I like this translation better than the Bible I have. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms, the 85th chapter. Psalms 85. Starting at verse 1. The Bible says this. Lord, you poured out blessing on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sin. You held back fury. You kept back your blazing anger. Verse 4. Now... Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the the message that's about to be shared. God, I do pray that we're open to receive it. I do ask, God, that you help us to stay focused and that you give us revelation knowledge of the power of what you're about to speak to us this day. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you fulfill the, the commandment that, was, that the Lord sent you to do this day in this service. God, we give you all the rule and reign and liberty to do all that you see fit this morning and the time that we have together. We surrender ourselves unto you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today. I want to share from the scriptures about revival. Some people are saying, let's pray for revival. Church family, let me tell you something. Revival's already happening. It's here. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because across a lot of college campuses, God is breaking out. Things are happening. There's 24-hour prayer meetings. There's, there's, there's a spirit of God uh, on the college campuses that is changing the lives of our young people. And then all of a sudden, what's great is then other generations, because it has to be a, a, a it has to be a multi generational thing. All other generations are getting involved in what God's doing. You have you have them all happening across the United States. I just read the other day that at a rock concert, a metal show, like in a place like the Town Ballroom, the the singer began to talk about Jesus on the stage. It wasn't a Christian concert; it was a metal show, and God began to pour out there. So we don't need to pray for revival to come. We just need to pray that when God, what God begins to do, that it continues to grow and impact not only the church people, you and I, those who accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but it spreads out and touches those who don't know him yet. So I want, I want to lay a teaching. I want to, I want to lay a foundation today about, about revival. About revival. But we must understand this. Before revival can touch the masses, it has to start with us individually. I found a quote I used probably about 10 years ago by a rock and roll singer. His name was Jim Morrison. Y'all know Jim Morrison from The Doors? Now, some of you don't want to answer it because you're all like, Pastor knows I listen to secular music. Jim Jim Morrison. Some of you probably burned some, some Doors records back in the 80s. At that record-burning barrel in the parking lot, right? But this is what Jim Morrison said. Hear how he said this, and let's connect this to revival. Let's connect this to God moving. There cannot be a large-scale revolution until there is a personal revolution on an individual level. Before the masses come into the presence of God, before the masses are impacted with God, it has to start right here. It has to start with me has to start with you individually. Yeah, we know God can speak, but, but what I'm trying to say is before we go out, before we worry about the tens of thousands of people that will be impacted, let's start with us. Are we where we need to be? So we could be a used vessel in the outpouring of what God wants to do. Well, what is revival? What, what is spiritual? Revival is a spiritual awakening or reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation. In other words, that passion and zeal 
that we had for Jesus or, or, or you know, where, where everything was about Jesus. We had every Christian t-shirt, every Christian bumper sticker, every other word that came out of our mouth was praise God, hallelujah, I'm blessed, I'm favored, I'm highly favored. We never went anywhere without the Bible. We never had a meal without praying. We never heard of, uh, someone say they're not feeling well without saying, let me pray for you right now, brother. It doesn't matter where we're at. That, that passion and zeal, it's no longer there. And so revival refers to a reawakening of that for those who are believers, but also a first-time awakening to who God is as an individual for those who have not experienced the salvation experience. See, what happens when revival comes, all of a sudden we have this passion and and, and, and all of a sudden, the love of God begins to be poured out, and, and we're embracing it, and the holiness of God and, and the passion for His Word begins to overtake us. Let me put it this way, because I, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I believe there's some Bills fans here today, right? So we've got some Bills fans in the house. On a Sunday afternoon, you know that passion? That you wake up in the morning, you're like, nah, I gotta get to church, get the word, but man, after the church service, whew, you, you dress up, you paint up, you got signs, you, you, you show up to the game hours early, you, 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 you actually drag your griddle grill. I saw it. The biggest griddle grill was dragged to the parking lot, and they, it looked like the fair. It had sausage and eggs and bacon, and it, there was, there's passion, right? There's that passion, look at that passion. The same passion that they have for a football team in that dimension is what I want us to be awakened to or reawakened to when it comes to Jesus. Yes. This is what I'm talking about today. See, see, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a revival. It, it all of a sudden puts a love for the church, which the church is being slammed by a lot of people today. The church is being slain. But, but what happens is when, when those blinders and those, those negative words and those, those false teachings that have so engripted our young people, our middle-aged people, our older people, when, when, when the love of God overtakes them, all that begins to be pulled away and there's a love to come together, to hear the word of God, to worship together as a corporate body. See, this is what revival does. It gives us an awareness of what's going on in our lives. See, when revival hits... There becomes a convicting awareness of our personal lifestyles, of what we're doing, of how we're living. And if we're living not the way the standard has been set, what the Holy Spirit does is it begins to convict us and show us the wrongdoing so we can then walk in repentance, turning back to God. This is what revival does. See, revival begins to spread from the believer to the non-believer. Why? Because we're light in a dark place. We're light in a dark place. Because we have friends that don't know Jesus. We don't just hang out with church folk. <laughs> I love you all. I do. I love hanging out with you. But I also love to hang out with those who don't know Jesus yet. <gasps> Pastor, you can't say that. No, I can. I said I hang out with them. I don't partake. I don't live and embrace what they're doing, but I hang out with them because I'm a light in a dark place. Hopefully, that the revival that God has put in me will, will spread onto them. So I'm talking about revival. Do you, do, you, do you really want more of God's presence in your life? Are you willing to embrace it when it comes? Because there'll be some things that are going to be changed around. Our lives will change. See, revival... When revival comes, it, it opens our eyes to the truth of God. And to, uh, the, the, uh, it gives us a freshness about the things of God. It breaks. When revival hits us, it breaks the hold. It breaks the chains. It breaks the power of the world that has got its grips on us. It breaks that hold. Some of us might struggle with things. 
Some of us may struggle with addiction. Some of us might struggle in certain areas. What happens when God's spirit comes and we surrender in the spirit of humility and we throw our hands up in the air and say, God, you take it. I can't do it anymore. When we lay ourselves before him, what happens is he begins to pull those things off us. He breaks the bondage. He breaks the chains. How do you know that, Pastor? Because Jesus himself said this. He says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to break the chains that hold you and oppress you. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That's what Jesus does. See, it's revival. It opens blind eyes and it, and it begins to show us new things. <laughs> but it starts with us. It starts with us. See, when revival hits, the first thing that happens is something happens on the inside of us individually. When you and I experience it, it happens first in here on the inside. And when God begins to do work on the inside, and we surrender everything that God wants to do on the inside. When we, when we let it go, it's hard to let it go. You know that, right? Two reasons. One, we're all control freaks in some way, shape, or form. We are. We are all control freaks in some way, shape, or form. We want to control it. And sometimes, even though we know it needs to go, we really like it. That's why living, that's why sin was so fun. We liked it. That's why my old lifestyle was so fun. I enjoyed it. I embraced it. But when God began to do work on the inside, that's why it was so hard to give it up. Because my flesh was saying, no. It's good. It's fun. It's awesome. But the Spirit was saying, yes. Let go. Because this is the way it should be. So when revival comes, things happen on the inside. And then when it happens on the inside, then all of a sudden, on the outside, there, you see changes. You see the evidence of it. And then the outside changes impact those around us. And so I think of the book of Acts, chapter 2. See, Peter preaches this amazing message. Peter, you know, if Peter was alive today, and you sat in this sermon, this, this message after the upper room, and you jumped on Facebook or, 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 or Twitter or anything else, and you would be like, yo, Pete just hit a home run. And then you put a whole bunch of fire emojis with it. He's like, he was preaching fire today. That's what Peter did. He came out of that upper room and he declared who Jesus was. He declared the, 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 that Jesus was the Son of God who died for all mankind. He, he goes to this whole amazing message to a group of people. And what I love about it, because the truth of the gospel was being preached, the people that heard the truth of the gospel, they were, there, something began to happen on the inside. There began to have a revival happening because they looked at Peter and said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and turn from your ways and turn to God. And the Bible says that that day after that message, after a stirring on the inside, after a revival that took place after the upper room that said 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. 3,000 people. Not three. three one is, a, is praiseworthy. One is worth doing a lap around the church celebrating because someone got saved and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And was one, one is worth lap running. 3,000? I'm going to try a backflip. I'm going to try a cartwheel. I'm going to get all crazy in the Holy Ghost. But 3,000 came to the Lord that day. And then it said, after this message, it said, they then continued as a body, as a church family, to be with each other. That they were together in the teaching of the apostles' doctrine. They were together to pray together. They were together to have meals together. They were together to break bread together and worship together. They were together to, to help each other out. When someone was in lack, the other person stood up and helped that person in that group. See, a, a whole new thing began to happen after that upper room experience when the promise came and the disciples had this, had this revival take place within them. They began to go out and do what God wanted them to do. And not only were they touched, but people were touched, regions were touched, lives were changed, cities were changed. And, and if you read the Bible, it's pretty awesome what happens. And so I want to talk about revival. 
But the big question is, when is revival needed? When is revival needed? Well, revival is needed whenever the love of God begins to grow cold within us. The love for God begins to grow cold. The love for the things of God begins to grow cold. Revival is needed when God's not number one. But my wife is number one or my husband's number one. No, your relationship with Jesus is number one. Because you and I cannot be the people that God wants us to be or be the, the best version of a husband or wife or friend or brother or sister or grandson without Jesus. So my personal walk with Jesus is number one. And so when he is not number one, I need a revival. I need a revival. I need a renewing. I need a, a touch. When complacency settles in and everything becomes status quo regarding the things of God, I need a revival. When there becomes a lack or no desire or concern for those who are spiritually lost, those friends that we know, those family members that mock you because you go to church, those workers that you know know nothing about God, when, when, when we don't have a concern or no desire to share and talk about Jesus to them, Revival is needed. This is personal revival. This is in us. <laughs> See, you thought I was talking about like revival, this whole big. Oh, we got to start with us. Is that right here? With me. I have to start with me before I can help, before I can go help you. I got to start with me. See, I need a revival when, 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 when all of a sudden I begin to accept sin as being okay. When I, when I know that it's against the standard of God, when I know it's against the will of God, when I know it's black and white against what the Scripture says, when I begin to tell myself or I accept it as, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, I need a revival and a renewal. See, when I live and walk with an unforgiving spirit, I need a revival. When pride is greater than humility, I need a revival. When Jesus is not number one, I need a revival. A revival when I have no passion for prayer, Jesus, and Jesus being number one, I need a revival. When, when, when the Word of God is not the standard of which I live my life on, but I have no hunger for the Word of God to read it, to, to study it, to, to let it be played in my ears, I need a revival. Y'all with me? It's sweeping the land everybody. Revival sweeping the land. It's sweeping the land. I want to be a part of it. I said earlier, I, I, I came to this amazing realization this morning that where we're planted as a body, as a church, we know it's where God wanted us to be. But I, I thought about this this morning, that where we are here, we can reach multiple Backgrounds of people, multiple social economical, uh, economic of people. See, because here we are, we're 10 miles. Well, 7.8, I think my GPS told me the other day when I went to Eden. When I went out that way. We're, we're, we're that far from the rural. From the rural. Yet we're planted in suburbia. But yet we're 12 to 13 miles away from urban. And in that demographic, in where we sit, it, it, cha it, it changes. It changes. We, we, we're, we're not that far from, from the, 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 the reservation. It changes. So, so we, can, we can be a people that gives light to everybody from all backgrounds, from all demographics. We could be a light for Jesus to impact, to help build the kingdom of God. Let's think about that. Revival's here. Let's not pray for revival. Let's pray for more of God. God, you're already moving, but I want more of you. I want it in a greater dimension. And so when we talk about this revival, it's important to understand 
and look at the signs or the proofs of it. Because in the moves of God, what happens is man gets in the way. Man gets in the way and begins to try to dictate and tries to tell us if it's God or not God. I, I, I did. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I, I was appalled when I heard someone say that the revival in Asbury, on the college campus at Asbury, and some other school too, they're not real revivals because of the translation of the Bible they were reading from. You got kids being set free of bondages and addictions, and because they're not reading the translation of the Bible that you think is the only translation, it's not a God move. You got young people and, and middle-aged people and old people surrendering their lives to Jesus, inviting him in to be, and you're telling me because of something else, because, you know, the lights are on and not off and there's not smoke and it's not our true. Some of the stuff is mind-blowing. So I think what I wanted, uh, need to do is I need to, to lay this foundation as we move forward in this outpouring of what God's doing and going to continue to do and continue to grow in, that we understand and we can say, yeah, that, that's God. We know that's God because it's proof of certain things in the Scripture. In the Scripture. Not according to man, in the Scripture. So the proof or the signs of revival when it happens is this. There's always a great emphasis on Jesus. It's not the church. It's not the hall that they're meeting in. It's not the worship that's leading worship. It's, 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 it's not the people involved. But the emphasis, when God begins to con- and continues to pour out his spirit, the emphasis is always Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Peter, yeah, go ahead and clap. Give the Lord a hand clap. Peter preached Christ crucified, dead, buried, and raised. Peter preached Jesus as Lord and Savior. See, Jesus always must be the priority of what's happening in a God move. Jesus must always be priority in my life. See, I love what Paul says. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. When you read the letters of Paul as he wrote many great, amazing letters, you will always find Paul focused in on Christ and never self. You'll find Paul always referring to Christ as, as, as the Lord, as the authority, having deity. You always find Paul talking and referring to Christ as in him we have salvation, and only him and no one else. You always find uh, Paul talking about how in Christ there's sanctification, there's grace, there's fellowship, there's unity. Paul always had Christ first. We must always have Christ first. It's a sign and a proof. Because honestly, what happens when great moves of God begin to happen it gets messy. It gets messy. Because what ha- I, I, I'm speaking because I've been in some of these moves before. Then man begins to try to manipulate it. Try to control it. And then next thing you know, it's not about Jesus anymore. It's just about having a meeting. Or it's about saying, hey, you know what, we're on our fourth day in a row. Well, what if Jesus doesn't want to have revival every day of the week? He only wants to have it every third day of the week. Would we still call it revival? Yeah, if that's what God wants, absolutely. Sometimes we think that unless you meet every day, 24 hours a day, it's not revival. And that's not true. Because some of you right today are being revived right now. Some of you came in heavy and tired this morning, but during worship you felt that burden lifted from your shoulders. Some of you came in today upset about something and God began to heal that broken heart today. You're being revived right now. We call that revival. We call that a new awakening or a reawakening of what God wants to do in you. So, but, but what happens is sometimes when, when, when men begin to try to run it, uh, Christ and the emphasis of Jesus is not always number one. And we always have to keep the emphasis of Jesus number one. And so in a great move of revival, what happens is not only is Christ always number one, but there becomes this wave of, as the Spirit of God removes and a great repentance beginning to take place. People begin to truly commit and turn away from those things that are not 
of God or part of God's plan or part of God's standard, and they begin to reject those worldly things that have been controlling them, and they turn to Jesus, and they repent. We saw 3,000 people just at that one meeting did that exact thing. See, in revival, there's this great conviction that overcomes us. In this revival, as the Holy Spirit rests upon you and rests upon me, he begins to reveal things in my life. He begins to show things to me that are acceptable and unacceptable. That's just the bottom line. They're acceptable or unacceptable according to him and his standard. And so what happens, though, while in that moment, while the Holy Ghost is all over me, while the Spirit of God is consuming the sanctuary or, or my car or my study at home or, or on the golf course or wherever I may be, when the Holy Spirit is consuming me and he begins to reveal these things to me, and I, and I know that I know, what happens is, 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 is there's this, this great wave of repentance, of, 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 of returning from, turning from that lifestyle and changing it to the one that God is wanting me and pursuing me to have. You know what I found awesome in the Bible this week? I'm going to read the words of John the Baptist, Jesus, the 12 disciples, Jesus after the resurrection, Peter, and then Paul. These are their words. Check this out. John the Baptist, repent of your sins and turn to God. Jesus, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The twelve disciples, repent of your sins and turn to God. Jesus, after his resurrection, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Peter, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Paul, all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed, they have changed by the good things they do. Wow. We're talking multiple people, but the same exact message, the same wording. When the Spirit of God begins to move, I'll be as bold as saying this right now. Some of us in here are being convicted. Some of us right now, the Spirit is speaking to you. And he's beginning to reveal some things to you, and you're getting a little uncomfortable. You're getting a little nervous. It's uncomfortable because he's showing you Whatever's going on, some of those things he wants you to be removed from. Now, again, it goes back to choice. He will not force you, but it's a choice you have to make. He didn't force me to change. I chose to change. He didn't force me to stop doing things. I chose to stop doing things. And in the choosing to do so, there was times I struggled, and I slipped and I fell. But I always knew that I can, because I was trying so I knew that God would help me. He would forgive me. He'd get me back up, dust me off, and get me moving in the right direction. And some of us today are feeling that conviction that, 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 that he's working on you. I liken it to this. Right now you are, think, 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 of, a, think of, a, of a five-year-old child sitting at a table, a play table, and he's got Play-Doh. Right now, God is like that five-year-old child, and you're the Play-Doh. He's beginning to mold you, and he's beginning to do something in you, and it's getting uncomfortable. That's okay. Embrace what God wants for you. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Allow him to begin to do the work in you and, and really begin to see what will take place. And so with revival comes an emphasis of Jesus being everything, place on top. With revival, there's a great repentance, of, a sweeping move of it. With revival comes great salvation. We don't have meetings just to sing songs. We don't allow God to change us just to go home and change people. Because we've been given the Great Commission. See, with revival, there's an increase of salvation. There's an increase of people choosing to become sons and daughters of the Most High King. Choosing to invite him to come and live with them in their lives. To come take residency within their body. The Spirit of God would be uh, housed within us. You know, there, and then what happens is there's a burden then on the believer then for others to experience the same thing. Could you, and I try to wrap my mind around things. And my mind's not that big. It's not that deep. But I think of this. How did 3,000 people hear Peter when he was preaching, right? Yet 3,000 people heard Peter. And 3,000 people, by the Spirit of God, were pierced 
in the inside to realize that they needed to do something. And 3,000 people that day accepted the message that Peter was preaching about the risen Christ. The church, the kingdom of God. And the church at that time gained 3,000 family members. 3,000. Why? Because there was a move of God. And when moves of God happen, salvation increases. The kingdom of God grows. When there's a move of God, there's a great passion for prayer. Prayer. Now this one gets tricky. Because this is like a super powerful discipline that is embraced, I would say, the least. In the sense of even coming, I know we pray over meals, I know we pray over our kids when they're sick, but I'm talking of, I'm not talking about a prayer of asking God to do something only. You know what I mean, right? You know, we, the list, and yes, we should always go to God with, our, with, with the list, but even just times of communicating, because revival, the Spirit of God moving inside of us, deposits a new desire or a strong desire, or rejuvenates an old desire to communicate with him. To communicate with him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a communication with the Father. It's talking to God, but it's also listening to what God says in return. Do you know that sometimes, I don't, don't, by a show of hands, has has any of you ever experienced where you've gone to sleep, and while you're sleeping you know you're praying? Anyone ever had that happen before? Hands up all over the room, right, right. So, so there's this it, the increase of prayer and a passion for prayer. It, it, prayer, without prayer, nothing happens. You know that, right? See, the reason the revivals are beginning to sweep is because people have been praying for them. People have been praying for this for years and declaring it. And you're seeing more and more out, pockets of God pouring out his spirit. And, and so there's a passion for prayer. And I know prayer is so needed in the church. I want to start coming back and having prayer nights. Now, some of you got uncomfortable. I got to schedule that in. (laughs) Yeah. I want to have prayer nights. Just to come and pray. Just to come and intercede. First come and just worship him. Adore him. Exalt him. And then speak with him. And then pray for needs. Pray for salvation. Pray for signs, wonders, and miracles. Prayer is so needed. It's one of the strongest disciplines that we should be embracing, but it's the least one that we do embrace. How do you know that, Pastor? I'm gonna, no one take this personal, okay? Because I, I remember I struggled with it a lot too. So don't take this personal, please. Because if we hold, if we, if the church, not our church, if other churches call prayer meetings, like they get like five or six people to show up. Yet we have hundreds of people on a Sunday morning. But if we call an event or have an event, the church has hundreds of people show up. Nothing wrong with the event. We need to have events. We need to have fun times. We had a great, great dinner not too long ago. Again, we had, we had all different things happening. But prayer is important. And when revival begins to sweep, it stirs something in us as believers to want to communicate with the Creator. See, look what happened in the upper room. They were told to go to the upper room and pray. Go and wait for the promise. And what they did was they prayed with a purpose. They were preparing themselves in prayer for the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming, the promise coming. They prayed alone and they prayed together in one accord in the spirit of unity in one mind. Their prayer was persevering. Because they spent roughly 10 days praying for the promise to come. Think about that. Could you imagine that? 10 days. Now, of course, I don't know if they, and I wasn't there, so I don't know what they left for. But even that, that time frame, they, were, they prayed through 10 days of what was happening. That's tenacity and perseverance. Right? Because sometimes I'm like, Lord. It's been half a day. What's up? 
Y'all never been there before? <laughs> am I, am I, you've been there. <laughs> Chris is like, that's me. It's been two minutes. Lord, where are you? <laughs> right, we've all been there. But there's a passion for it. I want to quote a, 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 a great theologian, Charles Spurgeon. How many of you have ever experienced or saw a bell ringing at a church up in the steeple? Anybody? See, I attended the little white church, the congregational church, as a child down the street uh, when we were growing up. This little, there's a little white church, the Lakeview Congregational Church, and they, have a, they had a steeple with a bell in it. And there was a gentleman from the church, and this is funny because this is going back, like I can vividly remember this, you know, <laughs> 44 years ago or so, and, and I can remember this man, his name was Mr. Ames. He lived over here, uh, I believe, on the one house on the corner down here as you go on North Creek. And Mr. Ames, every Sunday morning, came with a three-piece suit on and a tie. He was always dressed up, and he had a watch. He had a little, little watch, you know, like a, those little round watches, the pocket watches, po- pocket watches. And his job was to ring the church bell. And it was cool because he would let the kids come up with him. And in the church bell, what happened, though, the bell was up in the steeple. And from the steeple, a rope came down. It came down through the ceiling into the one area in the one room where he had to go into. And he would go and he would grab the rope and he'd begin to pull it up and down. And it was kind of heavy, so it took a little while to get going. He was, I thought he was like in his 80s then. Maybe because maybe I was younger, he just seemed a lot older. Now that I'm getting to that age, I think we're a lot younger. You know what I mean? But, 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 but here he was. He'd begin to pull on this rope and he'd get it going. And then before long, the bell began to ding just began to go off. He was calling the community, letting the community know that church was about to start. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says that prayer pulls the rope from below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. I like that analogy. That prayer, our communication with God is like what Mr. Ames did. He began to pull on that rope and he got to the point as he pulled enough that it began to, 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 to ring the bell. And our prayer goes up like that great bell ringing in the ears of God because your God and the God that I serve hears your prayers, hears my prayers, wants communication with us. He does. Our God is a personal God. He wants relationship. He, he's not some distant God. He wants to be involved in every decision. And he wants you and I to talk with him. But if we're not ringing and pulling the rope, we're not ringing the bell. If we're not praying, he can't hear. Revival brings a hunger. I'm sorry. I saw one of our Sunday school teachers had something going out there with the kids walking out there with a star. I'm like, I'm like a squirrel at times. I'm just trying to navigate the anointing up here and <laughs> you only get that here, right? Other pastors are all polished and stuff. I'm not polished. I'm far from it. <laughs> but in revival, not only is there a hunger for prayer, but there's a hunger for the Word. The Word of God. When revival comes and the Spirit of God touches people's lives, what happens is there becomes a craving to read the Bible. There becomes a craving to hear the Bible taught. There becomes a craving to, be, to want to listen to what the Word says. See, people want to be exposed more to the spiritual things in the Word. This is what happens because the Spirit of God is doing something in us. And I love in, in, in Acts chapter 2, even the apostles and, and those people who, who, who got saved and were getting saved then, it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the teaching of what they were being taught by them about Jesus. And that's how we grow. We grow by being in the Word of God and having the revelation of the Spirit of God teaching us what the Word means. And, 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 we, and then we grow by talking about the Word and sharing the Word with one another. And so it's important to realize that there's a hunger for the Word of God because the Word of God is the standard. It's the standard. It's like a plumb line. I wasn't, I'm not a contractor, but I read about it this week. 
a plumb line is used to make sure that when a building is being built, everything is right, justified, and center. And that's what the Word of God does. It makes sure that we're right, justified, and centered on Him. On Him. And so there becomes a hunger for it, a hunger for the Word. And and, 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 and any great revival, it, it has to be the truth of the Scripture being taught. See, in 1907, there was a, a revival. Let me encourage you to study the past revivals. But when you study the past revivals, don't, don't expect that to happen the same way today. Because those were for a time frame. And it can. But I believe God has a newness for today's people. Has a newness for where we are today. We can learn and we should learn and we should study the old revivals and, and how God poured out not only in America but other countries. But in 1907, there was a revival called the Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival. And the pastor, William G. J. Seymour, uh, had a deal with the situation. He had an article written about him and about the revival. And so here's because, like I said, when revival happens, people, a lot of people always have a comment about it. When, when you become a new person in Christ, people are going to have a comment about it. I know when I became a new person in Christ, my friends had a comment about it, so I had a, you got to straighten it out with the truth. You know, I'm, I'm this new person because of Jesus, or I'm this because of that, and you, you know, all those things. But they wrote about the revival, and maybe it wasn't so much a God thing or this thing, and it was kind of weird, and this shouldn't be happening because God would never do it this way. But I love what he said. He said this. He says, everything that is happening, everything that's going on with this revival and this Azusa Street revival, he says, we are measuring everything by the Word of God. Every experience must be measured to the Bible. Some say that this is going too far. He says, but if we have to live too close to the Word, we'll settle that with the Lord when we meet Him face to face. I love that. He says, so everything that we do, we're going to measure against the Word of God. That's even like, you know, the songs that we sing. Look at the lyrics and stuff we're declaring. He's got to measure against the Word of God. The teachings that are preached from this pulpit must come from the Bible, must come from the truth and the Word of God. And so when revival hits, everything's measured against the Word. It's so refreshing because it takes away all the this is not, this is, this is not. No, it's right here. It's scriptural. This is what's happening. And if it's not scriptural lining up, then we just remove it and fix it. Amen. And so revival's here. But before it can explode, it starts personally. Now I gave you proofs of revival. I tricked you. I tricked them, Pastor. I tricked you today. Because every point of the outpouring of a big revival is every point that must be in us personally. Must be in us personally. So when the big wave begins to outpour, when you have to come to church early because you want to get a seat and not be in the cafe watching it on TV, our cafe, not your cafe at home, our cafe, When that begins to pour out, that begins to pour out. And we measure everything that's going on with what God's doing. It'll be measured against, is Christ the focal point of everything? It'll be measured. And will we look at it and see the proof? We'll be measured against the Word of God and the truth of the Scripture. We will look at it and see the hundreds of salvations. We will see the passion for prayer. But before all that happens, Jim Morrison said, you cannot have a large-scale revolution until there's a personal revolution. Until the large-scale outpouring of God's Spirit, of God, the Spirit rests upon this community in the dimension that he wants to, it's going to start with us. You guys can come up, team. And so I want to ask you the questions. Why do we need revival? And now this is the moment that I want you to ask yourself, and I'm going to challenge you to be honest with yourself. 
Okay, just be honest with yourself. You don't need to tell anybody. You don't need to tell anybody because you're going to go to the Lord in a minute here. As we go back to some worship, you're going to go to the Lord and you're going to, I'm going to encourage you to stand face to face before God. Just lay it all out before him and let him take care of it. But when is revival needed? Well, revival is needed when the love of God and the things of God have gotten cold. When complacency is set in. When everything about God and spiritual things are just status quo. Revival is needed when there's no lack, there's a lack or no desire for the spiritually lost. Revival is needed when we are accepting sin as being okay, even though we know it breaks God's heart. Revival is needed when we walk and live with an unforgiving spirit. You don't know what they did to me. I know. But walking in forgiveness is freeing. We know what they did to Jesus. And Jesus said, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. When is revival needed? Revival is needed when pride rules over humility. Revival is needed when Jesus isn't number one. Revival is needed when I lost the passion to communicate with God. Revival is needed when I lost the passion to read the Bible and study his word or listen to a a teaching from a pastor or a podcast that's going to teach me life and teach me about the things of God. Revival is needed when I don't care about my unsaved loved ones. And I say, well, that's their choice. I don't really care. I don't have a desire to, to somehow minister the gospel to them. Revival is needed when these things begin to happen and affect us. Revival is needed. See, when revival hits, there'll be a manifest presence of him. Lives will be changed. Healing takes place. Signs, wonders, and miracles accompany the preached word. Revival. So the question today, let's start with ourselves. Do we need a a revival? Do we need a renewal? Do we need a touch in one of those areas? Don't tell anybody what it is. It's you and God. And God already knows, but just tell him. Lord, I struggle with this. I struggle with prayer, God. I struggle setting a time aside to talk with you. I struggle with reading my word, God. It's, I struggle because every time I sit down, I don't know where to read or I get confused by it. Or God, help me. I don't have a passion for it. I don't have a desire for it. Lord, help me. I struggle sharing what you did. I don't have a concern for my lost co-workers. Lord, change my heart. Bring a passion, an evangelistic passion to impact those individuals. Why don't we stand to our feet for a moment here? Because I want to encourage you. We're going to take a few moments. We're going to go to God and before God individually. Now you can come to the altar and worship. You can stand in your pew and worship. It's solely up to you. But I want to take a few moments here and we're going to go back and worship and And I, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, this morning, I was, I was, I was in the first service. I'm like, Lord, why, why are we been ministering this week after service? Why are we just kind of just pressing in on worship individually? And he says, and, and I really sense that he was saying because it stretches us. Because in these moments like this, he can become very uncomfortable for us. And he, he wants us to get out of our comfort zones and realize that we're standing in his presence. And that it's not about the pastor doing it for you but it's about you embracing and, and, and connecting deeper with God. Yeah, we'll, 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 there'll be times when everybody's anointed with oil. There'll be times people are slain in the Spirit. There'll be times, all, we, we embrace all that. We, we embrace all that. But for this moment, for what God's saying right now, it's a personal thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's getting out of our comfort zone thing. It's a stepping and saying, God, I need a revival in these areas. So let's worship and let's do that this morning. 
Like I said, you can come down to the altar if you need to. You can stay in your pew. We're going to worship for a few moments, and then I'll come back and pray over everybody. Overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love, your love surrounds us. You're the reason we came to encounter your love, your love surrounds us. I pray that your spirit would fall fresh upon us. Father, that today there would be a reawakening or an awakening for the very first time. That, Father, revival would come to us individually, but also corporately as a body. Father, I pray that as you begin to move upon your children, your sons and daughters here, that, Father, passion would be brought back. The fire of passion would be ignited. Passion for the word, passion for the lost, passion for prayer, passion for you, oh God. I pray, God, that we have the ability to realign our lives with you being the most important thing. Father, as we leave this place, as you're reviving and renewing us, let our light shine bright to those who are lost, those who do not know you as Lord and Savior, have not had the opportunity to meet you personally. Father, let our light shine that we would have the ability to share the good news of the gospel of who you are. Father, I pray that hearts would be softened. Hearts would be softened in this sanctuary today to turn from those things, God, that are not pleasing to you, to realize how important it is to turn from them and embrace who you are. I pray for the spirit of repentance to fall this day. And for those who have not accepted you, but there's a stirring in the heart this morning. If that's you in this house today, simply repeat this, say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. I repent, I turn from the old man, and I turn to you this day. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. I believe that you are the Son of God, and you sit at the right hand of the Father. And today, I accept you as Lord and Savior. Pray this, say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Consume me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.